First off, we celebrate the life and times of Alex Trebek as I tell you the story of how I met him and his bodyguard almost beat me up. And then we travel to a pizza hut because we're hungry after running away from Alex Trebek's bodyguard. We're going there for the pizza and maybe play a couple video games. Little do we know this pizza hut is haunted. And then we travel to Japan, home of Hello Kitty, everyone's favorite white cat. But did you know that Hello Kitty may not be an adorable icon? It may actually be a gateway to hell. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. My back's doing better for you long-time listeners. If this is your first episode, you're like, I don't care how your back is doing. I actually hate podcasts where people have good backs. Let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Cindy Pereira. Cindy Pereira. Now, I actually looked that up under a Google uh uh, uh, pronunciation thing. I can't even say the word pronunciation. Cindy Pereira. So I hope that's correct. If it's not, I apologize. Send me the correct pronunciation. Cindy, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Cindy, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going up, up, and away, and back in time. To the early 2000s. Bye, 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 bye. We're listening to NSYNC as we're flying through the time void. It lasts forever. We listen to Bye, Bye, Bye for 400 years. But eventually in, end up in the early 2000s and we land at Sunrise Mall. We're in Citrus Heights, California. So we're walking around Sunrise Mall, dude. If you didn't weren't alive during the 2000s or you weren't old enough to remember how awesome the 2000s were. Yes, we were in a constant state of war. It was a lot better than it is today. Like the late 90s, early 2000s was dope. But anyways, we're walking around. We're flexing on all the fetuses that haven't been born yet. Hey, what's up? We're yelling at women's ovaries. What's up, dude? You can't enjoy this. And people are like, what are you doing? What we're doing at Citrus Heights Sunrise Mall is I remember one day I was sitting there. I was reading the newspaper. And they had a little, little article. There's a little blurb. And it said they were doing tryouts for two game shows. Wheel of Fortune. So basically, the Denny's were empty that day as every elderly person in town scuttled to the local mall. And Jeopardy, they were doing Jeopardy tryouts. Now, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, say I'm the best at Jeopardy, but I'm pretty good. Now, I knew, though, there's a difference between sitting in the break room at work and yelling out the answers before they can answer them. Like, I'm in a relaxed environment, drinking a soda, eating a sandwich out of a vending machine. I know that the stakes are much higher when you're on the show. So they're not dummies. Sometimes they'll make mistakes and things like that. But I'm really good with sitting at home playing Jeopardy. So when Jeopardy tryouts were coming to town, I was like, ha ha ha, now I can prove to everyone that I buckle under pressure. I'm okay yelling it across the living room, but in person it's going to be a lot harder. So I show up very, very early for Jeopardy tryouts. And I'm going to backtrack the story a bit right now. I should have told this part first because this is integral to the rest of the story. I'm a hat guy. I don't wear them all the time, but I do like collecting hats. I like getting hats that do one of two things. They're very unique hats. Not like Jamiroquai furry hats. Nothing like that. Like I have a Ninja Turtle hat. I wore that on the Halloween Patreon live stream. Part of my costume. I was a Leonardo. 
I have a bunch of other weird hats. And then I also have a collection of hats specifically to, 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 to rile people up. I'm the guy, and it's funny because some people go, well, they probably just think you're a hipster because you're doing that. And I'm like, oh, maybe. A little do they know I'm actually trying to revoke them. I'm not doing this ironically. I'm the type of guy I have a couple of National Rifle Association hats, NRA hats, and I'll wear them to events where I know people hate the NRA. I'll go to Hops Fest. And I don't dress like a uh, like hillbilly or anything. I don't have a full cosplay to go with it. I'll dress like a normal individual. Um, shoes, shirts, you know what normal people wear. And I'll just wear an NRA hat. And I'm just walking on the Hops Fest or the Grape Festival or the Apple Fair or whatever. A place where generally people of the NRA are looked down on. And I'll just walk around wearing a hat. I do it specifically to make people feel uncomfortable. And... and my little brother a long time ago said, he goes, Jason, you were a troll before that was even a thing. Before there were, all, were troll, like you're a real life troll. You don't do it online. You will straight up troll people in the most dangerous of situations. Now, what are they going to do to me? The hops fest, right? They're going to throw beer in my face. I'm like, go, 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 drinking it. I'm starting fights with people. They just keep throwing beer in my face. What are they going to do, right? But I do have a tendency to wear hats that I know will provoke people. One of the hats that I bought, this was back in the early 2000s. I was looking around on eBay, and I was like, oh, dude, that hat's going to be dope. It's actually a really cool designed hat. It's an official Israeli police hat. And I bought it because, one, it is a really cool hat. It's a novelty hat. I had to have it shipped over from Israel. And then also, I was like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what that's anti-Semitism people are always talking about. I want to get a little piece of that. So I'm going to wear my Israeli hat. I've been, people think that I'm Jewish anyways. I figured that out. <laughs> we'll seal the deal. Let's see what happens when I wear this hat. And generally, when I wear the NRA hat, when I'm wearing Israeli police hat, when I'm wearing any sort of political hat, I'll be honest with you guys, right after he declared that he was running, the next day I ordered a Kanye West for president shirt. I didn't want to tell you guys that before the election. I didn't want to sway anybody's votes. But dude, I wore that shirt all summer long. And basically, people I was hanging out with was like, dude, do you have, dude, don't wear that shirt out. You're going to get beat up. And I was like, that's the plan. <laughs> That's the goal, right? What's funny, though, is I'm wearing a Kanye for President shirt. 90% of the people are like, that is an awesome shirt. When you're wearing the NRA hat, you don't really get that type of feedback so much. But when you're wearing the Kanye West shirt, when, when you're wearing a shirt that you people kind of get that maybe you are being ironic or maybe you're trying to provoke people, I'm trying to help them think. People go, oh, that's a really funny shirt. That's a really good shirt. And I'm all, there's nothing funny about national elections. Kanye West will win, sir. But the Israeli police hat, again, most people were like, oh, it's a really cool hat. Where'd you get it? Here's a weird story about that hat. This segment's going to go a little long, but I don't know when else I'm going to be able to tell my Israeli police hat stories. I had three notable encounters. Well, four, including Alex Trebek. But before Alex Trebek, I've worn the hat for years. I still have it. I had two encounters. They both took place. Let me actually tell you the story. That was a little tidbit for what's coming up. I'm walking through a Safeway in Sacramento. I'm walking through a Safeway. And I'm in like the frozen foods aisle. And there's a woman standing there. And she turns and she sees me. And now, when you wear a hat enough, you forget that you're wearing that hat. Like, at a certain point, you're not like, oh, I'm going to wear this hat. To the NRA hat I always wear to provoke people. I also have a hat that says your, uh, your boyfriend's hat or something like that. And I'll wear that to like uh, honky-tonk bars and stuff like that. So I'm an equal opportunity offender. But... I go into the store, and I'm wearing the Israeli police hat, and I see this woman. She's 
probably a couple years older than me at the time. And she looks at me, and she looks to her left. She looks to her right. We're all alone on the island. She walks up to me, and she goes, are you from Israel? And I go, oh, no, 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 it's just the hat. Like, I forgot that I was wearing the hat. And she's like, oh, oh, because I'm from Israel. We talked a bit, you know. It's a short conversation. She was just wondering if I was from Israel. I didn't really think anything of it. You're wearing a hat that basically says you're from a location. She was from Israel. Maybe like a year or two later, I was in another supermarket. And I believe it was also a Safeway supermarket in another part of town, in another aisle. Obviously, because it's a different Safeway. There's not a quantum Safeway, whatever aisle you're in. You're in all the aisles at once. I'm standing there in the aisle. I was shopping, and there's a woman with a stroller this time. She's a little bit younger than me. She looks up, and she sees me. And no joke, she looks to her left. (laughs) She looks to her right. She walks up to me, and she begins speaking Hebrew. And I'm just standing there, and I go, "I, I don't know what you're saying, miss. I don't know what you're saying. And she goes oh, I thought you were from Israel. And I was like, no, I wasn't. She's like, oh, okay. We had a short conversation. That was weird. Like, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if they got a call and they're like, your handler will be in the Safeway aisle. You'll know who it is. And they're like, yes. They hang up the phone. They bring their fake baby down. And then they just see some klutz walking in. I should have said, yes, I am from Israel. And maybe I would have went on some whirlwind adventure. But anyway, so I had those two notable encounters. And then one time... Sacramento, it's a rough city. It was early in the morning. I was, I don't know, watching Pokemon or something like that, eating, eating cereal, and I hear a bunch of cop cars and a bunch of helicopters flying overhead. And there was a hostage situation maybe four blocks from the house I was staying at. And this guy had robbed a liquor store or a jewelry store or something like that, and he ran into a gas station bathroom and barricaded himself in. That's a bad place to make your final stand. The cops are like, we'll just wait. Because that room is so smelly. We'll just wait. They eventually ended up throwing tear gas in because they they didn't want to wait. <laughs> they wanted to get him out. But I remember I walked over to there. There's cops everywhere. And there's a bunch of construction workers out. And I just grabbed the hat. I wasn't even thinking. I just grabbed the hat and put it on. And I walked. And there were some construction workers standing there. And there was mixed ethnicities. There was a couple white guys, a couple black guys, a couple Hispanic guys. They're all working this construction crew. And I walk up to them. Because at this point, I don't know what's going on. There's just a helicopter flying over a gas station. There's cop cars around in it. And I walk up to the group and I go, hey guys, what's going on? And the black guy goes, nothing. Now I can obviously see there's 30 cop cars literally like 10 yards from where we're standing at. And I kind of look at him and I was like, okay. And I start walking away and then he turns around with full volume so I could hear. He goes, I'm not talking to a Jew cop. I remember thinking, oh, I mean, if I was if I was Jewish or a cop, that probably hurt my feelings. I just went on. And I stood there for probably about 30, 40 minutes. The way Sacramento is, is that even the hostage situations get boring because you see them all the time. So I sat there for a bit, and then I think I went to Carl's Jr. and got a hamburger and went home as that guy. I don't th- I wasn't there by the time they were throwing the tear gas, and I just read that in the newspaper the next day. But anyway, so Israeli police hat. So I'm wearing this Israeli police hat as I'm standing in line to try out for Jeopardy. And I really have no idea what the setup's going to be. I found out that it's very, very difficult to get on Jeopardy. So we're standing in line, and I see kind of a commotion. I'm maybe like 50th in line, and the line stretches all the way out of the mall. I heard later that it wrapped around the mall, but I got there early. I'm maybe 50th in line, and there's a hubbub coming from the beginning of the line. You hear people, hubbub, 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 and we're like, huh? And I'm standing there, and there's this elderly woman to my right. I'm in the middle. 
and then there's this dude. Like, this dude, he's probably my age now. He's probably, like, in his 40s. I had to be in my mid-20s at this time. And the line just stretched on forever. We hear this hubbub coming from the front, and we see motion. And as this, as this motion gets closer to us, there's Alex Trebek. There's Alex Trebek coming down the line, shaking everybody's hands. Now, this is something you wouldn't have thought. Uh, this is a countrywide tour that these game shows do. It builds publicity for the show. I never thought when I was going to go to Jeopardy, I never once imagined Alex Trebek would be there. But there he was, walking down the aisle. And I'll tell you this, man. Alex Trebek was a super nice dude. He was one of those guys. And it's one of those guys that I think that we want to be. He had something to say to everybody. Very, very interesting. Like, that's an entertainer. So he was coming down, and he was shaking people's hands, and they would tell him a story. Or they'd, oh, I really love your show. And he would go, oh, then... I really love your shoes. And it would laugh because, you know, what's the comparison between this television legacy and this guy's shoes? But he was just that type of guy. And he's walking down the aisle and he's shaking everyone's hands. And he happens to have basically a half-orc bodyguard. Like, this guy, when you see bodyguards on television, they're either, like, James Bond-looking, like, thin dudes or they're, like, big guys walking next to Justin Bieber. But then you think, how big is Justin Bieber to begin with? I, it was the first bodyguard I'd seen in real life. And what's really weird is they have two modes to them. Their physical body, and then they give off this bizarre energy. But anyways, they're walking down, and you see Alex Trebek. And bodyguard looks just like a bigger guy, right? He's not a bodybuilder. He just looks wider than the average human. But still, he could blend into a crowd. If you saw him on a subway, off the clock, you probably wouldn't know what he did. Alex Trebek and the bodyguard get to the old lady next to me. Alex Trebek grabs her hand and shakes it. And she goes, Oh, Alex, I've been watching Jeopardy since the other guy was on Art Linkletter or whatever his name was. She's like, me and my husband used to watch the show, which I would imply that her husband's passed away at this point. But um, we used to watch the show and I've been watching it since then. I've watched all your episodes. And he's like, you are truly a lifelong fan. And I appreciate it. Big smile on her face. Now that I think about it, what the hell was she doing trying out for Jeopardy? She would have gotten smoked, dude. I would have wrecked her. But anyway, so the old lady said that she'd been watching all these episodes. And then Alex Trebek gets to me. He puts his hand out, and we're shaking hands. And I go, like, what do you say, right? You're kind of preparing something in your head to say to this television icon. But I was like, hey, hey, uh, hey. I don't know if I called him Alex, honestly. I might have been like, hey, what's up, Big A? I'm like, it's a pleasure to meet you, Alex. And he looks at my hat and he goes, Israeli police, huh? And we're shaking hands. And he goes, you don't have an Uzi on you, do you? Because Israeli police, um, they carry Uzis. That's their sidearm. They don't carry Colt revolvers. They carry semi-automatic street sweepers. It's a funny joke. I got it. You know, Alex Trebek is just trying to make a joke. But the bodyguard, all he hears... All he hears is weapon threat. He's basically the Terminator and the red eyes are on me. Weapon threat identified handler is telling me this is a threat. Within, I swear, it was one of the weirdest experiences. And I've had a lot of them. Alex Trebek says, you don't have an Uzi on you, do you? I start to smile. The bodyguard begins to move between Alex and me. And Alex, as he's shaking my hand with his other hand, he's not even looking at the bodyguard. This is so bizarre. He's shaking my hand. You don't have an Uzi on you, do you? 
I start to smile. I see the bodyguard, his posture changed. He seemed to get bigger in that moment. It was super bizarre. It was like his psychic armor was attached and he seemed to take up more space. I'm shaking Alex's hand. The bodyguard starts to move between me and Alex. Alex motions with his other hand like a king, like a king would. And the bodyguard stops. And I, in that, like, I'm like, no, sir, I don't, as we're shaking hands. But before I could even get that word out, I, I'm sure my face changed because I'm noticing this guy coming towards me. We're all, I mean, we're in shaking hands distance. So it's not like we were across the field. <laughs> it only took the guy a quarter of a step to get close enough. And without even turning to the bodyguard, Alex Trebek just kind of raised his hand, his free hand. The bodyguard stopped. And then Alex Trebek moved on to the next gentleman. Shook his hand. And that guy complained. That guy goes, man, why did I have to be next to you two guys? He was joking. He goes like, he's like, that woman's been watching the show since 1943. And you remember the Israeli police. Why did I have to be with you two? Super interesting guys. I didn't have anything to say. He was a funny guy. We're joking. But Alex Trebek worked his way down the aisle. I don't think he shook the hands of everybody. But that was the type of guy Alex Trebek was. He showed up in some podunk suburb that's hosting a promotional thing for the show he's on, and he came out there and was shaking people's hands. The unwashed masses who carry Uzis on them. No, he's just a really cool dude. I tried out for Jeopardy. It didn't work. It was incredibly hard to get on. I got ousted the first round, and then, to top the story off with a Jason Cherry, because this is how these stories always have to end for me, They had I failed the first round of Jeopardy. I couldn't even do the 10-question quiz. You had 60 seconds to answer these questions. I got three right. And then they go, well, you can win this promotional prize. You can play. We have like a promo game of Jeopardy here. So they have like a Jeopardy layout set up and people are sitting around and we're trying to answer questions. And I was there and it was like a full layout in the middle of Sunrise Mall. And I'm fighting against this woman. And <laughs> I'm standing in the middle. I'm trying to get these right so I can win a shirt that was way too small for me. I think the biggest size they had was a large. I'm playing against a woman. And the smelliest hobo, the smelliest hobo imaginable was to my left. And he was so smelly, I couldn't even concentrate. I couldn't even, like, all the words on the screen are all blurry. I'm like, uh. And, of course, because I can't have a story with some sort of hobo messing up my groove. But anyway, so I did end up, I did end up getting enough questions right. I came in second. The woman beat me. And the hobo, if the hobo would beat me, I would have just quit. I would never have gone outside again. But anyways, I ended up getting a Jeopardy shirt. I think I still have it. It's large. I've never worn it. But that was the time I met Alex Trebek. I know that segment took a long time, but I hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Cindy, she's wearing the Jeopardy shirt. It fits her. Let's go ahead and hop in that Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Citrus Heights. We're leaving behind... The legacy of Alex Trebek Under, underneath the Jason Jalopy, the hobo's holding on. His eyes are glowing red. <sighs> He's going to follow us to the next story. We are leaving behind Citrus Heights. We are headed out to Glendale, Arizona. Driving out there. It's been a long day. We've got a lot of stuff done. Uh, really not. We just tried out for Jeopardy and lost. But, you know, it's time to eat some pizza at Pizza Hut. I prefer round tables, if I'm going to be honest, but round table isn't haunted. And this Pizza Hut is on Glendale Avenue. So if you live in Glendale, Arizona, you can actually visit this. In the show notes, they will give the address. 
to this Pizza Hut if you want to check this out. There's a really cool website called hauntedplaces.org. I've been there on and off over the run of this show, and I've been missing a gem with this website, because what's really interesting is you'll have a little blurb about a place. And when we look at this one for the Pizza Hut in Glendale, it says this. So we're walking around this Pizza Hut, we're waiting for our pizza, and we're hanging out, and then we hear a... (laughs) (laughs) I guess I could just laugh normal. That's supposed to be the sounds of children laughing. We look around. That's not unusual. It's a pizza parlor. Kids are always laughing, but there's no kids. We're all alone. (laughs) So we go to the bathroom because that's what we do. We're like, ah. While we're waiting for a pizza, might as well go to the bathroom. We go to the bathroom, we wash our hands. Now, if you're with me, if you're in the dude's bathroom... We're having a doo-wop band. We're checking out the acoustics. Doo-wop, ba-doo-bop, doo-doo-doo-doo. We're having a good time. The women's restroom is terribly haunted. So if you went into the women's restroom, whoa, stuff's floating around and stuff like that. Well, to be fair, nothing's floating around, but the water turns on by itself. So I guess it's not super spooky, but we're getting, we're building up here. And then we all leave our bathrooms. Us guys are wearing our leather jackets. We got our new group. The bop boys were walking out. A boom, 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 boom. The girls come out. They're super terrified. And their hands aren't washed. They're like, dude, I was not putting my hands under that water. And while we're waiting for our pizza now, someone's bringing out this big steaming pizza pie. We hear a... And we look around. There's no babies anywhere. That was the sound of a baby crying. If you didn't know what that was, that was the sound of a baby crying. We're looking around. We're like, there's no babies in here. So this place is haunted. We have water turning on by itself. We have kids laughing. There's no kids. We have babies crying. There's no babies crying. Stamp certified haunted Glendale, Arizona Pizza Hut. But here's the thing. This website, hauntedplaces.org, I would look at these little blurbs, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of kind of spooky, but, like, the water running by itself, it's pressure. It's like water pressure, most likely. And the disembodied voices of children, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe that's real ghosts. But I don't necessarily think the sounds of kids crying or laughing is spooky. I mean, it's kind of terrifying. It's kind of terrifying if you're walking around your house and you hear a... <laughs> Um, You're either watching Tales from the Crypt or there's a ghost kid. It's creepy, but is it Dead Rabbit Radio creepy? That's always the question when I look at ghost stories. Is it Dead Rabbit Radio creepy? Hauntedplaces.org is interesting because you have these blurbs. They give you the address. They tell you everything about the place. They allow users to rate the place. Am I haunted or not? But what's really interesting, and I've missed this, is that they have user comments. So people can post about these places. What's interesting about these comments is because these comments are, assuming they're true, are from people in the area. Because they're looking up haunted places in their area, and they go, oh, that Pizza Hut is haunted? That's funny, because I heard a story once, and they can actually flesh out the story through groupthink, or through a community. Now, again, some of it could be fake, but let's take a look at some of this stuff. Now, part of it, I think this is a rumor. One, because they said it was a rumor. Apparently, the rumor is this. Long ago, before the first pizza was created in a hut, this building used to be a morgue. (laughs) Maybe. Probably not. 
morgues aren't normally like built outside of strip malls <laughs> like hey honey i'm gonna go cremate the dog <laughs> why don't you uh go shopping like usually morgues are on the outskirts of town but anyway so that is a rumor one review said i walked into the restroom once and the water turned on by itself so that kind of complements the official narrative that review also said that restroom is <laughs> disgusting the restroom <laughs> at that pizza hut is super gross that was actually the first... And Matt, how gross does a restroom have to be if you walk in, it's haunted, and the very first thing you say in your review is, I walked into that gross restroom once and the water turned on by itself. <laughs> That's pretty disgusting. But what I thought the most interesting comment was, was this one. This one really sent chills up my spine. There's a guy named Jeremy, and he said in the comments that he was actually a manager at that Pizza Hut 10 years ago. He goes, listen, dude, we got tons of complaints about the place. <laughs> Restrooms were super disgusting. But he said the employees would talk about hauntings and stuff like that. He goes, the water would turn on by itself. He goes, one day we came in, our lobby was flooded. So we did have problems with the water turning on by itself. We came in, the water was running. And then again, almost as an afterthought, he talks about the scariest thing you can think of at this Pizza Hut. Or really any restaurant. What's the darkest part of a restaurant? I'll give you a hint. As we're sitting at this pizza hut, eating pizza, our legs are in the darkest part of the restaurant. It's underneath the tables. And Jeremy told this story. They would see a little girl run through the pizza hut and then crawl underneath one of the tables and just hide there, laughing. It, they were, it was, she was seen multiple times. And one customer, he goes, one customer was standing there and he saw a little girl run across the floor, go down, crawl underneath the table, and just was there laughing. You look under the table, the girl's gone. Customer's like, dude, you can keep, you can keep my two medium pizzas for $12.99. I'm out. I don't need, I'm not that hungry for pizza. That's creepy. That's Dead Rabbit Radio creepy to me. You can hear the disembodied voices. You can kind of rationalize stuff like that. The pipes, you can rationalize stuff like that. And even if you couldn't rationalize stuff like that, they're like, if you go in the corner or if you go in the storage room, if you go into the walk-in freezer, you'll hear a baby crying. And you go, well, that's your job. I don't go to any of those places. You deal with it. But to think that when you're sitting in a booth at a restaurant, having a good time, talking to someone, there is something under there. like that's creepy that's about as creepy as walking down the stairs into a basement there are those stairs where you think someone can reach out and grab your ankles at any given time but i actually think it's more creepy because when's the last time you walked down a horror movie basement versus the last time you went to a restaurant and just sat there in the booth and you think about all the times you see kids actually playing like that and it makes it even more creepy that even in death This little girl is still running and hiding underneath the booths. And then you think about how many times you're sitting there in a booth, talking to someone, having a good time, and you feel something brush up against your leg. You know, you do that thing where you look under the booth and you go, well, that wasn't their feet. And you figure out maybe you brushed your leg up against something else or they moved their foot away. But we've all done that, haven't we? You feel something brush up against your leg and you kind of look under the booth and you're that is Dead Rabbit Radio creepy for me. That's that, Jeremy. Thanks for that comment, because that made it extra spooky. Cindy, call in that Carpenter Copter. We are headed out 
to Japan. Helicopters leave me high in Glendale, Arizona. It's a long trip. Thankfully, I brought a bunch of pizza. We're headed out to Japan. But this story's curious because it doesn't start in Japan. I found this story on a website I talked about, I think it was yesterday, called Quattro Cantos. It means four corners. It's a Brazilian urban legend folklore mystery site. Now, there's translation errors. It's written in Portuguese, but then it was translate. I had to Google Translate this, so there's a little bit of translation barrier. But really, the headline is the headline, which is Hello Kitty. The charming billion-dollar kitten is the product of a pact with the devil? Question mark. Very, very good question mark. I normally put exclamation points, like I'll probably put as the title of this episode. The story's pretty simple, but I wanted to cover it because I actually talked about it 100, 200 episodes ago. I never heard this version of it, but thought this was interesting. We're walking around downtown Japan. It's November 1st, 1974, and there's a young woman. She works for a company called... (laughs) I didn't write it down, but we'll pretend that I know the name of the company. And so this woman's sitting there, and she's drawing something. She's like, I wish I knew who I worked for. I haven't gotten paid in months. I don't know who to call to get paycheck. She's drawing stuff. What they did was this company... Uh, made sandals, and they started putting really cute designs on the sandals, and they started selling more, rather than those disgusting sandals. They called them Pizza Hut sandals. They came out with a new line of sandals that looked beautiful and cute. So they started having their artists try to figure out cute designs. And this young woman, she draws Hello Kitty. And they put it, her very first item was on a coin purse, and it flew off the shelves. People were buying Hello Kitty stuff left and right. To this point, it is a billion-dollar phenomenon. And she created that on November 1st, 1974. But in 2008, we started to see emails travel around the world. A lot of them were written in Spanish. Uh, This conspiracy theory started in South America. The idea is this. In South America, there was a young couple. And their 12-year-old daughter had cancer of the mouth. She had mouth cancer. And the parents are like, we don't know what to do. I'll do anything it takes to cure my daughter's mouth cancer. So no one knows for sure if it was the father or the wife. But one of them made a pact with the devil and said, if you cure my daughter's mouth cancer, I will create an icon the world will worship. Please help my daughter. And so the devil took that deal. He cured the daughter's mouth cancer. And that husband or wife, the, the, the story isn't clear, designs Hello Kitty. Now, what's interesting is we know who created Hello Kitty. I don't, I didn't write it down in my notes, but we know the date it was created. It was created in Japan, but this email purports that it was actually created by a South American couple. And the reason why this story spread around was, uh, even though basic facts are wrong, the word kitty in Chinese means demon. It doesn't. It doesn't. There's nothing even close to that, but it's interesting because with language barriers, maybe they could work that out some way. But anyways, according to a Spanish email, the word kitty means demon in Chinese. And the curious case of why the kitty has no mouth is solved by this story. When the person who was creating Hello Kitty to save their daughter, they didn't create a mouth specifically because they didn't want... Any reminder 
of their daughter's mouth cancer. Now, I don't know what they did with the daughter herself. They're like, you've been cured. Now wear duct tape on your face forever. But that's why Hello Kitty doesn't have a mouth. The official reason why Hello Kitty doesn't have a mouth. I was up till 2 a.m. <laughs> so this was a late story that I was researching. I know so much about Hello Kitty except the company that makes her and who designed her. But the reason why Hello Kitty doesn't have a mouth, this is really interesting. It's a psychological trick. The company that made it said, we want Hello Kitty to have whatever emotion you're having. If Hello Kitty's always smiling, but you're sad, that's a distance. And we're not going to make a doll with a bunch of sad faces. It's all frowny and mad. Without the mouth, Hello Kitty is experiencing whatever emotion you're experiencing. So if you're sad, she's sad. If you're happy, she's happy. It's fascinating. little quirk of human psychology. But the story of Hello Kitty being a satanic icon is something I talked about a long time ago. I actually put forth a theory, a total conspiracy theory. That I have no proof of it. I don't remember what I was talking about at the time, but I, I'll just, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time talking about it again. But I said, what's an object that people around the world know and they, I wouldn't say they worship, but they know and they treasure it. And when you step back and just look at the silhouette of it, it looks... Um, horrific it's mickey mouse but it doesn't look anything like a mouse it looks like an (laughs) looks like an abomination he's the most boring animated character possible i remember i had this conspiracy theory a long time ago that walt disney made a pact with the devil and that or or some sort of demon and that creature is the best representation you can draw of what that demon would look like so the big ears are actually like eyes or certain appendages and the nose was something, <laughs> was a nose, I don't know. But the point is, is like, it was the same thing. It's so funny because I came up with that conspiracy theory years ago, probably right after I met Alex Trebek. It was back in the early 2000s, I thought of that. And here we have one, that Hello Kitty is that same thing. So not only does this kind of validate my made of conspiracy theory, I wanted to talk about this too, and we're going to wrap it up like this. We talk a lot about people making deals with the devil to be successful. Now, I don't think you have to make a deal with the devil to become successful. I do think it is possible. I think you can do it literally, and I think you can do it metaphorically. But I do th- I do think you can literally... I don't know if you can sell your soul so much, but I think you can be tricked into thinking you've sold your soul and doing horrific things to maintain your fame when it wasn't yours to sell in the first place, but if you thought you had actually sold it. I've heard... I've read, I've read a lot about people selling their souls to the devil and... Things like that. And one of the things that happens to them, you sell your soul to the devil, and then you get this fame and this success, and then they say you got to do this horrific thing or the the gravy train ends. They're like, "I I love gravy and I love trains. I can't let this in. So you do something horrific. But the key always is, well, I'll just sell my soul and I'll live my life. And then right before I die, I'll become a Christian and God will get my soul back. But when you start to think that, you start to have these horrific nightmares and you're given this vision that God no longer wants you. Like people have talked about who have sold their souls or have said they've sold their souls, that they were becoming overwhelmed with these visions, with these nightmares that God had abandoned them because they were doing horrific stuff. It wasn't something they had to do every single day, but they would do something horrific and they'd think, how could God ever forgive me for that? And the point is having to ask God for forgiveness for doing that thing, but you've done something so horrible, you can't ask for forgiveness. And it's this spiraling thing. Um, There was always that story that Bob Dylan sold his soul to the devil. He's kind of made comments about that as well. And he got in a horrible motorcycle accident, broke his neck. 
almost died. And since then, he's been a Christian. He's been a devout Christian. That's a story that a lot of time gets lost in the saga of Bob Dylan through his arc. But there is some weird paranormal stuff going on there. I don't think you have to sell your soul to become successful. I think it is a path. But this story about Hello Kitty, which isn't true, but it does offer us a weird way to kind of look at art. If an artist sells their soul to the devil for fame, right? You have Marshall Mathers trying to make it in the world of rap. And he does. And he starts to move up in the ranks, but not fast enough. So he sells, this is just an example, this is just off the top of my head. I've been listening to a lot of Eminem lately. He sells his soul to the devil. Would his creations, which are being bolstered by the powers of darkness, are they gateways for us to fall into the devil's clutches? And I know that's the whole thing with like, in the 1980s, they had that huge thing like heavy metal music makes you more demonic and stuff like that. Don't listen to that Twisted Sister album. You won't respect your teachers. But that's the easy route. Like people listen to Eminem and then they go you know, beat beat their girlfriend up or something like that, or start using drugs, do this stuff. You can make those connections. That's dark music. I, I personally have always liked the thing. I actually heard this on Ned's Declassified School Guide. People who listen to dark music, people who listen to, like, uh, you know, stuff like Eminem, you know, gangster rap, stuff like that, they kind of explain it like this. Uh, positive plus a positive equals a positive. They're talking about electrons, but they're saying how it works in real life. Positive plus a positive equals a positive. Positive plus a negative equals a negative. So if you are moody and you like darker stuff and someone's trying to get you to watch Mickey Mouse cartoons and trying to get you to listen to opera or pop music or whatever, it's a negative. It gives you a negative reaction. But somebody who, they're not bad people, but somebody who already feels kind of angry at the world and alone and stuff like that, when they listen to Tech 9 or Eminem or Disturbed or whatever, Cannibal Corpse, that actually gives them positive feelings. A negative plus a negative equals a positive. So it doesn't mean that they're actually going to go out and do those things, but it, it has it actually can have a positive effect on their mental state because they one they go I don't feel alone anymore. I didn't know there are other people out there like me who could rock as hard as Disturbed. But you know what I mean. Again, that's the thing. Like if someone's putting out dark music and it's causing their fans to do dark things, and it turns out that musician sold their soul to the devil. That all makes sense. But what happens to the opera singer? Or the pop star. Now, let's forget the pop stars. People already say Rihanna sold her soul to the devil in her music. Her song Umbrella is about Satan possessing people. Let's take like a world famous opera star where they're just singing other people's music. They don't, they don't write their own music. They're just like, la la la. They're just writing law all over the paper. La 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 la. Um, they're singing other people's music. What happens when you take music that's created by someone who didn't sell their soul to the devil? and give it to an opera singer who sells their soul to the devil. At what point does the music become perverted to become a gateway? What happens if someone designed Hello Kitty and it was totally normal, their daughter was fine, they didn't have a daughter, they didn't even have a daughter, and they sell it to a company, and that company's CFO got to that position because they sold their soul to the devil. That's pretty That's pretty low. They're like, you can have my soul, I just want to be a chief financial officer of a Fortune 10,000 company. And you sell that, and then at what point does the corruption begin? Or does any does the corruption ever begin? Is it enough for the dark forces to simply take your soul, or do they want to use these icons to steal the souls of millions? I don't know. I mean, I basically just asked a bunch of questions, but I thought that was an interesting story. It opens a bunch of doorways that we can look down and see all these alternatives.
And if it's true, if this is true, that at any point along the production chain, if someone sold their soul to the devil, the item gets infused, then at this point, everything would be infected. Your Hello Kitty Nightlight, your Marshall Mathers LP, but it'd also be your dish soap, the raw hamburger meat sitting in your freezer, your shoes. Everything could be tainted by dark forces sprinkled throughout the production line. That sounds a lot less like a pact with the devil and more like the seeds of a full-on demonic invasion. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. But I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>